Now, Lord, we come to this time in our service when we pause to hear the Word of God. You said there would be a famine in the last days, a famine of hearing, not preaching, but a famine of hearing the Word of God. Lord, this world with a thousand enticements is struggling to gain our attention right now, even in this moment. And I ask you, O God, that you would give clarity and that you would give, O Lord, comprehension as we open this book and mine its truths. I ask you to touch this speaker, God, that I might speak with grace and truth. I need your touch. I need your enablement, God. Help me, O Lord, today to do what you called me to do so many decades ago. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. It seems that the theme of the many funerals we've had the last few days and weeks seems to be the Lord is coming back and that the Lord is going to descend from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangel, trump of God, dead in Christ shall rise first. And that little verse we always quote at the end, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with the knowledge that this is not the end. Comfort one another with the fact that we will one day be resurrected in newness of life with a brand new body in the presence of the Lord to live with our loved ones and with our Lord forever and ever. What a great hope that is. Corinthians says that hope is as an anchor, a stabilizer, an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. That early church struggled so mightily to do what Jesus mandated for them to do. The mandate is what we call a great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, Matthew 28, 19. Preach the gospel to every creature. All the things that I have commanded you, communicate to them. The things I've given to you, give to them. And I am with you always, even unto the end. Well, that church that came down out of that upper room, that church that preached on the day of Pentecost and had 3,000 souls added to the church in just one day, baptized. Matthew tells about that commission and tells about how it's the responsibility of every one of us to do that even in this day in which we're living. The devil is trying his best to stamp out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. If the devil would fight you on anything, he'll fight you on expanding the kingdom of God and reaching out to gather in new souls into the church, into the kingdom of God. But that faith that was demonstrated by the early church, the Bible said they hazarded their lives for the sake of the gospel. They went everywhere, the Bible said, preaching the word. From house to house, heart to heart, out in the marketplace, out under the canopy of the sky. Wherever they went, they had a message to preach. And they took the message from the cross of Calvary, from the Pentecost upper room. They took that message to the marketplace. 
Now, I want to tell you in America right now, there is a strong resistance lest the gospel be preached in the marketplace. We, they don't want the gospel preached in the marketplace. Don't get out in the open and public and preach that gospel about a saving Jesus Christ whose blood avails for the sins of the world. We don't want you to do that in our populace. We're offended by you coming into public and preaching that kind of gospel. Well, I want to tell you I've been offended a lot of times too. Not to the point that I want to burn down buildings or anything like that. But I'm just telling you, it's an offense to us that we don't have that freedom of speech in this country that we fought for and have come this far. That we ought to be able to speak the word of God anywhere we want to speak the word of God. If someone can put their political hogwash out there in the marketplace, we ought to be able to do it too. If those God haters and church haters can take their message out to the marketplace and courtrooms, then the church ought to be able to preach its message in the marketplace as well. And I will not be silenced. I said, I will not be silenced. I refuse to be intimidated. I refuse to be cowardly. I refuse to be timid. I, I've decided that I will do what the Word of God says, boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the life-saving, life-giving gospel that changes people's lives. And that's the message that was preached in the first century. Go ye therefore in all the world and preach that gospel. And the Bible said, I determined to know nothing else among you, said the Apostle Paul, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Praise the Lord. I believe the world needs to hear the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus. This battle that we're in, and that's the reason why I, I'm, I'm trying to put a lot of things together for we who are Christians and for us to emphasize the things that we agree upon and not maximize the things that we disagree upon. We need to agree that we're going to take a stand against the devil's onslaught against the church in the 21st century. Amen. And it's time for people of all faiths to come together. To come together in the name of Jesus and take a stand. Our faith I'm not really talking about uh, that faith that we have to believe God for, for miracles. I'm talking about those articles of our faith. The things most surely believed among us. That Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. That Jesus lived and died a, a solitary life, a life that was substitutionary for all of us. He died a substitutionary death. He rose a victorious resurrection. He's ascended to God as the intercessor now. Those elements of the gospel, the truth of God's word, that God's word is infallible, that God's word is true, amen. It's the manual for us to do business as the church is the word of the living God. And we've got to be rooted and grounded and established in this word. But in the first century, many of the professing Christians were, were attacked by persecution, num number one. The strong, conquering Roman government, Nero's chop block that we all know about where he beheaded Christians. About the Colosseum where they turned loose wild animals that came in and took Christians and pulled limb from limb. About the, the knife and which they would take a Christian and stand him on a stand and say either deny the Lord Jesus or you're going to go down that knife. 
And they would stand there and say, I boldly proclaim my faith in the Lord Jesus and were immediately executed by, by the knife. I wonder if we had that kind of persecution in the 21st century. If the church has faith strong enough to withstand the persecution and endure the onslaught, the faith. You see, it took real faith in the first century to be a Christian. It took real faith to stand out publicly and say, I am a Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a follower. I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And churches were under severe, severe pressure concerning their faith. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, this is the apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Written from Athens. You remember when we preached last Sunday about Paul at Mars Hill? In Athens, when he told them about the unknown God, him declare I unto you. He said, I sent Timotheus, verse 2, watch that verse. And I sent Timotheus, Timothy, our brother and a minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Now listen to what the Word of God is saying. It's saying that yes, reality is there are afflictions. Yes, reality is there are pressures. Yes, reality says there are threats that are real danger concerning your faith and who you are and what you believe. And he said, no one should be unsettled or should be moved because of these afflictions because you know quite well that we are destined for them. I want to tell you, living for God is a conflict. You can't just sit in your ivory palace somewhere and sit and soak and think that everything's just going to be okay. No, there's a battle to fight. I said there's a battle to fight. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. There's a battle to fight. There's an there's a issue that we must take a stand. There's a hand-to-hand a -hand spiritual conflict that is on with the adversary of our souls. And the devil would love to stamp out everything that Harvest has done over the last hundred years. He'd like to stamp out your very existence today. He has tried his best over the years to destroy this church. And somehow, miraculously, you've survived. Somehow, miraculously, and I strongly urge that word, miraculously. Miraculously, you have come thus far. When everybody else counted you out, you survived. When everybody else thought you were done for, you made it through. When everybody else thought you were dead and done and, and out the door, thank God you're still here by the grace of God. By the grace of God. And His grace has brought you safe thus far. And His grace will carry you on. Amen and amen and amen. I think you ought to give God a great big hand clap of praise for seeing you through to this point where you are right now.
I don't know at the times your names appeared in the obituary column. But thanks be to God, the devil couldn't kill you. I said the devil couldn't kill you. There's only one reason why you survived. Why is it? Because God. Because God made a way. I said God made a way. I said God made a way. And God will always make a way. I said God will always make a way. He's still making a way. He's still our provider. He's still our Jehovah Jireh. He's still our Jehovah Nisi. He's still our God. He's still Jehovah. He's still on the throne. He's still leading and he's still guiding in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I lean on thy staff. Thy rod comforts me. Praise God. I want to tell you when your faith gets beat up. And don't act like you've never had beat up faith. Brother, faith is a living thing. Did you know that? A living faith. Your faith eats. Your faith moves, your faith lives, your faith speaks. Your faith has to be cared for. Your, your faith has to, be, has to be intentionally cared for. Amen. You can't just leave your faith exposed to anything that the devil wants to do. You can't just lay your faith out there and leave it unguarded. Come on, somebody. You can't leave all the miles that you've accomplished and the way that you've come and come this far and leave all of that testimony out there for the devil to do whatever he wants to do to it. You gotta take care of it, you gotta guard it. I said you gotta guard it. And there are times when your faith is weak and it's waned. Come on, I'm preaching from experience. I can tell you what I know to be true. When you battle that buffeting blow after blow after blow after blow and your back is so weary and your mind is so befuddled and you tried to be positive and tried to take a stand and tried to hang in there, tried to trust. Thank God you need God's comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. There is a comforter and he is the Holy Ghost. And when he has come, he will lead you and guide you into all the truth. When you don't know which way to go, when you don't know which way to turn, I want you to know there's a comforter whose name is the Holy Ghost, and he will lead you and guide you and direct you into all the truth. When you've forgotten all about how good God's been to you, when you've forgotten all about how God brought you through when you didn't have a chance, when you've forgotten all about how he healed your body, you've forgotten all about how he gave you a job when you didn't have a job, 
You've already forgot about how he helped you when you were down for the count and didn't think you had a, a chance and didn't have a prayer. But thanks be to God, there's a comforter. His name is the Holy Ghost and he brings all things to your remembrance. He quickens within you the spirit of the living God to know that I can make it through whatever the battle is. I can make it through whatever the onslaught is. I can make it though dark the night and though bleak the moment. I can trust my God because I can remember how he's delivered me in the past. He set me free in the past. He'll set me free again. He delivered me in the past. He'll deliver me again. He healed me in the past. He'll heal me again. Thank God for the comforter that helps us remember. Thank God for the comforter. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. Jesus said, you don't have to be afraid. No matter how dark the night or bleak the moment, Jesus said, I'll come. I, will, I won't be, be, be distraught. I'll come. I'll come. Well, I wish mama could come. No, Jesus said, I'll come. Well, I wish I could get the doctor to come. Jesus said, no, I'll come. Oh, hallelujah. You can't go to a place where Jesus can't get to you. You can't find a place so solitary, so out of the way that Jesus can't find you where you are. And he gave you a promise, I won't leave you without a comforter. I won't leave you without some help. I won't leave you without an encourager. I will always come to where you are. Glory to God. Paul got word about the church at Thessalonica. He said, I'm concerned. I, I'm upset. I've heard about what you're going through. And I, I, I'm a little bit worried about those afflictions. And said, you don't need to be moved by those afflictions. They're, they're, we knew they were coming. Jesus told us they were coming. We knew about the, the troubles. We knew about the difficulties. We knew about the hardship. But the thing that matters is that you don't let it move you. Don't let it move you. That you not be moved by these afflictions because we know they were coming. Hey, when Paul was headed to Jerusalem, he said, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. Bound with the comforter. I'm going to Jerusalem. What did that comforter mean to Paul? It meant that when you're in a prison at the midnight hour, you can sing praises unto God. The power will fall and the shackles will fall off. What did it mean to the apostle Paul? It meant that when they take you outside the city and they stone you and you're left for dead, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will pick you up 
and say, hey, let's get going again. They thought you were dead, but you're not dead. They thought you were finished, but you're not finished. They thought you were defeated, but you're not defeated. They thought you'd never preach again, but you're gonna preach again. They thought that you'd never bring revival to a city, but you're gonna bring revival to a city. You're gonna appear before Caesar and tell Caesar there is a God in heaven. He's got a son named Jesus, and Jesus died on a cross that all who believe could be saved and become brand new. What did that comforter mean to Paul? He said, I go bound in the spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me there, but none, somebody say none, none. but none of those things move me. None of those things would get me so distraught that I would talk foolish things in my mouth. None of those things, beatings and in prison and in bondage, none of that would ever cause me to find fault with God and find fault with my plight and where he had delivered me to be. I'm gonna tell you, he said, none of that stuff moves me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify, testify, testify. Somebody say testify, testify, testify about the grace of God. Brother, he said, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this to appear before the throne of God one day and hear well done. I'm in this race to win. I'm not in this race to, to desert and, and, and quit. No, he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run this race. I'm gonna see the finish line in this race. I'm gonna finish my course. Gonna finish my course. In the last words he wrote to Timothy, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. It's time to go to the next dimension. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day. But not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. Praise God. You mean you can have a faith that's so bold you can say, neither count I my life dear unto myself? You mean you can have a faith that is so bold that three weeks before you die, you stand up and sing, there's a healer in the house. You mean you can get up and proclaim and preach God's goodness, knowing that you've got cancer, knowing that you've got some disease, knowing that they've counted you out. You can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away and Blessed be the name of the Lord. Could you say that with me? Blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter what, blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, I love that. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we were appointed. For verily when we were with you, we told you that we would suffer tribulation. Even it has come to pass. And you know, for this cause, which I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. I sent to know your faith. I sent somebody over to see about how, what was the condition of your faith, lest by some means the tempter, the devil, that old slewfoot, the serpent, the father of lies have tempted you and your labor be in vain. 
But now, somebody say, but now. When Timothy came from you to me, he brought me some good tidings. He didn't tell me about defeat. He told me about victory. He didn't tell me about your resignation. He told me about your promotion. He didn't tell me about how you, how you were down in the mouth and finding fault with God and, and accusing God falsely. He came back saying you were still praising God. When he came back, he brought me some good news about your faith. He had a, glory to God, had an estimation that your faith was in good shape. When he came back, brought us good tidings and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to assist as we do you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted. I sent him to comfort you, but I found out when he came back that I got comforted. When I found out you were fighting the good fight of faith, when I found out that you were still holding on to God, when I found out you were still preaching the word, when I found out you were still singing in the praise team, when I found out you were still writing spiritual songs and making melody in your heart, when I found out that you had faith and you were believing God and you was going to church and paying your tithes and loving God and serving God, then it comforted my faith. You mean we can comfort one another? Well, I hope you came to church today to be a comforter. Did you come today to church to comfort somebody? Paul said, I was worried about their faith and I sent Timothy over there. I was concerned about their faith. I sent Timothy to comfort them and they comforted Timothy and then Timothy came back over here and comforted me. You mean that God wants us to love one another? pray for one another, encourage one another, and comfort one another? What does the word comfort mean? It means to lift up, to encourage, here's a good one, and to cheer on. Have you told anybody at church today, I'm, I, I just want to cheer you on. You're, you're doing a good job serving God, and I just want to encourage you to keep going. You're doing a good job of leading those kids. You're doing a good job of administration. You're doing a good job leading singing. You're, you're doing a good job. Hey, I just want to be an encourager. I want to cheer you on. I want to lift you up and encourage you and tell you keep fighting, keep walking, keep singing, keep preaching, keep praying. Would it be good if we had a church full of encouragers? It'd be good if we had a church full of comforters that just look for somebody to comfort concerning your faith. Amen. You know what? Well, Brother Jerry, you preached about those spiritual gifts, and I didn't ever find one. I said, well, here's you one. Get you your Bible out, and you remember, memorize a bunch of scriptures that lift people up. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus, we are always made to triumph, who always causes us to triumph. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Learn you about 10 of those. Memorize them and become a comforter. Oh, the devil didn't like that. I felt that hit me right back in the face. 
You need to become a comforter. You spent so much of your life being the other way, why don't you turn around and go the other direction? I said, why don't you go the other direction and be a comforter? Why don't you be an encourager? Why don't you be a lifter-upper? Amen. Somebody gave me a Dr. Pepper the other day and said, that's the friendly pepper-upper. I said, I sure need a pepper-upper. But I don't think they bottle it. You find it right here. Hey, the Word of God will pep you up. The Bible said it's sharp and it's powerful. The Bible said it's quick. I said it's quick. What does that mean? It'll make you alive. Though you're dead, it'll make you alive. The Word of God will make you look alive. It'll make you act alive. It'll make you do things that live people do. Comfort concerning your faith. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That we may make complete that which is not complete now in your faith. That we may minister to you in some area where you need help. You got to be kidding me. You mean God knows areas in our life where we need help? And God sends ministry to us to help us with the area that's not what it's supposed to be and that where areas where we're lacking, God sends somebody to perfect or make complete that in us. Yeah, and probably some folks you threw rocks at was intended to help you get complete. But you didn't understand why God sent them. You didn't understand why God put them in your life. You didn't understand what God's purpose and plan was. For you see, there are a lot of times when we just don't understand what God is doing and we miss it. I said many times we miss the role that God has to play in our life through some people that are in our life. Now listen, sometimes you, you love people who love you and people that give you comfort you really love those people. Come on, somebody. They're those folks that always have that shoulder for you to cry on. They're those folks that'll always hang up from another call to take yours. They're those folks that'll stop whatever they're doing to come and listen to you sing a sad song. And as a result of it, you've developed a dependence on them because you like the comfort that they give. And you've been so, become so comfortable in your comfort zone that you think that that's just normal. The devil has finally sold you a bill of goods and you've become comfortable in your comfort zone. But listen, just because somebody's good to you that does not mean they're good for you. Woo. That was heavy, wasn't it? Just because somebody is good to you does not necessarily mean they're good for you because you can get at ease in all that dysfunction. 
and you can become comfortable in your chaos and think it's normal. Then God has got the task of trying to make you realize that it's not normal. Some of you have lived with situations so long that you think it's normal. But it's not. God wants you to live a life of peace. God wants you to live a life. In fact, his will, according to this book, is that you be in good health and prosper. God wants you to have a good life. What's the book that my friend wrote out in Dallas? Your best life now? I'm not sure I buy all of that, but what I'm trying to say to you is that God doesn't want you to be in dominion and bondage to anything. God doesn't want you to live your life in fear. God doesn't want you to live your life in dread and worry and anxiety. Somebody say, man, you ought to shout at that because God doesn't want that. So why have you got to the point that you think that's normal when it's not normal? And many times... God will send chaos into your comfort zone so that you can realize this is not normal. Many times God will disrupt all of your dysfunctional life to let you know this is not God's will and it's not normal. Because you become so accustomed to the comfort of it There are actually people walking around with grudges that are decades old. There are family members that split up at funerals never to speak again. Never to gather for another Thanksgiving, never to gather for another Christmas. Come on, somebody. Because when Grandma died, she didn't leave me this, didn't leave me that, and they divide and leave and never speak again. Might as well give me a Presbyterian amen and just nod your little head. That's right. Isn't it crazy the silly little simple things that cause us to carry grudges for years and years? I even heard of a a man on his deathbed that disowned his son and told the lawyer, write him out of my will. I don't want him in my will. Scratch his name off there. I don't want his name nowhere about it. And I want to profess publicly that I disown my son. How in the world can you get so accustomed to that kind of chaos and carrying that kind of anger inside you and that kind of malice? Well, I want to tell you, God wants to deliver you from that. I said, God wants to deliver you from that. That's not normal, and God don't want you to live like that. You'll damage yourself, you'll damage relationships, you'll damage everybody around you until you finally decide this is not normal. And sometimes the chaos that's going on around you is God's way of trying to shake you into wake up and realize this is not normal. This is not how God wants me to live. God wants you to live as unto a praise unto him. Night and day praying, 
God himself and our Father, our Lord Jesus, direct your way, our way to you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you to the end that he may establish your heart unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a verse. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to skip over a lot of preaching. You see, the problem with comfort is it's, as it is with all of God's blessing, is that the devil will take what God intends for good and pervert it. You remember the famous statement Joseph made to his brothers, you meant it as evil to me, but God meant it for good. You meant it as harm and hurt for me, but God meant it for good. How could God take something that is hurtful and painful for you and say God meant it for good? That's what I'm talking to you about. When you become so comfortable in a situation that God says, that's not normal. You need to get, get awake. You need to shake up yourself. You need to stir up yourself. I need to make a move. I need to make a move. In Colossians 2, may he strengthen your hearts. That's the last of the Thessalonians. Let's put Colossians chapter 2 up, if you will. Verse 2. It talks about another who was sent. It was about, I want you to know how hard and contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not met me personally. Verse 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full richness of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely the Lord Jesus. When Paul sent Titus, 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 4. Paul, an apostle of Jesus, by the will of God, Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, which are all in Asia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus, Father of mercy, God of all comfort. God of all comfort who comforteth us, look at verse 4, who comforteth us in all of our troubles, in all of our tribulations. Why does God comfort us in our troubles? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Did I read that right, Don? That God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those who are in any kind of trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves receive from God. So God comforts me so I can comfort you. So God forgives and loves and blesses and brings victory in your heart so you can bring that to somebody else's heart. Buddy, that's shouting stuff right there. I'm leaving you on a high note today. He comforts us in all of our troubles. How many is all? 
He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort. Comfort to be a comfort. Comforted by the comforter so that we can be a comfort. Comforted, write that down, that's that's brand new. God just dropped that in. I call them drop-ins. Comforted by the comforter that you may be a comfort. That sounds like book material to me, don't you? Comforted by the comforter that you might be a comfort. Can you think of people whose load you have made a little bit lighter because you were a comfort to them? Can you think of people that were in trouble and you went to them and became a comfort to them in their time of trouble? Can you think of anybody that was down, destitute, desperate, and you went to them and you comforted them and lightened their load, encouraged them, helped them. Wow. Could we just all agree today that before we come back to this house next week for worship, should the Lord tarry, that we'll fulfill that scripture? I will be a comfort to somebody. And the reason why I want to be a comfort to somebody is He comforted me in all of my troubles. And because He comforted me, I want to go and comfort somebody. Make their load lighter. Make their burden less. Encourage their heart. Lift their countenance. And improve their faith. For wherever their faith was lacking, the Lord said He would send somebody to help us in the area where we're not complete. Oh, my prayer to God this morning is, God, help me to know when you're trying to help me become complete. And help me not reject that person or that persons or whomever but I will realize that they've come to me from God to help me be what God wants me to be. What God wants me to be. You know that famous verse in the Bible, it's in the book of James, and James is tough as nails. He said, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, his faith abandoned him. He wasn't able to stand. He slipped. His foot that David said mine had just about slipped. This one had already slipped. He lost out. His faith was shattered. Lost hope. Lost faith. He said, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault where his faith didn't stand the test, he said, go to such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also 
be tempted. The famous answer to God's question. Where is your brother? I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that question is yes. Yes. Not only to pray for one another, but to comfort one another. To make areas where my brother is not complete to help him fill in the empty space so that he'll be complete. I'll tell you one thing. A dad will be a better dad when he gets complete in faith. A mom will be a better mom when she becomes complete. A husband will be a better husband if he can ever get complete. A wife can be a better wife. Children can be better children. Workers in your business can become better workers if they can just find that completeness in the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Gerald is sitting right here in our congregation this morning. I would be slow to guess how many thousand times Betty Cotton has requested prayer for her children. I don't know that over the years it's probably thousands because every time I saw her before she left me, she said, Brother Jerry, pray for my children. If Gerald could give you his testimony this morning, he would tell you about how that he went the wrong way and how that life really dealt him a terrible blow. Left for dead. It's a miracle that he survived. He walked up here last Sunday and said to me that God had saved him and that the Lord had saved him, spared his life. Wants to be baptized the second Sunday in August. How's that work, Pastor? There's a God in heaven. Those prayers were bottled up. And God kept that boy alive by the prayers of that mother. You say, that's a broad statement right there, Pastor. On the authority of God's word, prayers that are bottled up as a memorial before God. You need to send up some prayers and get that, that memorial built before God because it, it changes things. Give you one more scripture and then I'm through. David said, I searched for refuge and I searched for help. I searched on my right hand, but there was none to help me. I searched on my left hand and listen, no man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. I hope that statement can never be made about Harvest or this pastor or anyone who sits in these chairs, I hope that always will care about somebody's soul. You know what I believe? I know it's very silent. I believe that every one of us in this house, seated in this house, could win a soul to the Lord Jesus by next Sunday if we were dead sincere about it. It's a broad statement, Pastor. 
I'm so sure of it. But I'll say it again. Every person in this house could win a soul to Jesus before next Sunday if we were dead sincere about it. I challenge you to be a comfort because you have been comforted. And there's a comforter inside you. Stand with me, please. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent are your ways in all the earth. You bring the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. You, O Lord, alone are our hiding place. Throughout the generations, you've been our God. And I thank you, Lord, for the solitude of this moment. We've shouted, we've rejoiced, but right now we're challenged. Challenged like that early church. That no matter what's going on around us, more important is what's going on in us. Lord, help us this week, Lord, to be ambassadors. Help us this week, O oh Lord, to be a light that will shine and protrude through the darkness. Help us this week, O oh God, as we go from these doors of worship with a determination before I enter this room again, I'll share faith and I'll try to lead somebody to the saving grace of Jesus. God, grant that prayer to be true. And next Sunday, you said, He that goeth forth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. We expect that to be so, Lord, in dismissal. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. amen.